Father, we do need you each and every day, each and every hour. We we pray, Father, that you would be at work in this place at this time, that you'd be opening our hearts to you, that you would be speaking now, that your servants might hear your voice. We might know what it is to follow Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. What does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel? That's the question we've been asking as we've been walking through our series in Philippians. Paul has repeatedly demonstrated that this life is found in joyful, humble submission to our Lord Jesus Christ, reflecting the very joyful, humble submission that he made to the Father in coming to live and die for the sins of the world. In the second half of chapter 3 and throughout chapter 4, Paul is, in a sense, applying that idea to the day-to-day moment of this church. Last week, we spoke about how Paul exhorts his people to stand firm in the gospel with a heart that longs to see people know Jesus and be reconciled to him. This week, Paul spotlights an issue that he has been subtly alluding to throughout the letter. He now makes it plain that there is conflict within the body of the Philippian church. Last week, the call was to stand firm in the gospel. This week, the call is to stand firm together. Having been shaped by our mutual faith, we stand together to live out our faith, even when it's challenging, even when problems arise. Stand together for the gospel. Let's start looking at this standing together for the gospel by looking first at the conflict that Paul highlights. In truth... Paul brings it up and then kind of seemingly moves right along. He doesn't say all that much about it. Verses 2 and 3 tell us that there are two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who are disputing with each other. And Paul doesn't tell us what their dispute was about, which actually does tell us two things. First, whatever their dispute was, it would have been well known to his original audience, and so there was no need for him to repeat it. And second... Since scripture doesn't tell us what the specifics are, they don't actually matter for the point that the Lord is making to us in this passage. But there is a general principle to be applied here. We don't need to know the particulars of this disagreement, at least in part because disagreements will always exist, even within the church. In the New Testament, the church is often called the household or the the family of God, and I'm sure few of us need to be convinced that disagreement and even division can occur among family members. We would be naive to think that simply because we have been made brothers and sisters in Christ, that all of our disagreements will just melt away. 
Paul tells us that these two women have been laboring side by side with him on behalf of the gospel, that their, their names are in the book of life, meaning they have been redeemed. This is a scenario concerning a genuine disagreement among genuine, faithful believers. Chances are then this is not a doctrinal disagreement. This isn't one person like straying away from the gospel and the other one trying to stand firm in it. They are both firm in the faith. They are both faithful. That's something we need to keep in mind as we look at this because it does tell us that genuine disagreement can arise between people who faithfully love Jesus. Now that being the case, Paul actually teaches us a couple of different things. The first is this. Our disagreements cannot just be swept under the rug. We need to be aware of them and work together toward a solution. And it's actually often the job of the church to take a mediating role in disagreements that arise amongst the body. Paul calls upon an unnamed true companion to help these women to agree. Not to pick sides, not to show favoritism, but to help those who are currently separated to be united once more. In our flesh, we often want to do that or will assume that people who come alongside will want to pick sides or play favorites. But that's not what Paul's calling for here. This is genuine aid for the body. And the truth is, in our assumption that people will be picking sides or showing favorites, or in the temptation to just shove things under the rug, because it won't matter that much. All that happens is these disagreements grow. And often that leads to division. We see it in our own hearts, don't we? If someone perhaps has said or done something that has offended us and we just never address it. Well, we think we'll just get over it, but it just tends to be something we dwell on. And as we dwell on it, it grows and it grows and it grows and it becomes a much bigger issue than whatever the issue was to begin with. And that's exactly what our enemy wants, isn't it? Because if we allow our disagreements and our divisions to grow, then the church spends its time fighting each other. Rather than contending for the world on the behalf of Jesus, on behalf of the gospel. We become distracted. But instead of doing that, Paul shows us a better way. The way of standing firm together. Because while we should not at all be surprised that sinful people will act in sin toward one another... Christians are those who should believe more than anyone in the possibility of reconciliation. 
As one commentator noted, it should come as no surprise that conflict will come to fallen people living in a fallen world. But the gospel gives hope amid conflict because in Christ there are no irreconcilable differences. I hope that's the case so I never actually have to pronounce that word again. (laughs) Or fail at pronouncing that word again. It is often the unforgiveness of our hearts that cause us to believe that God could not bring warring parties back together again. And, and let's face it, we do tend to war more forcefully with those we were once close with. Isn't that the case? But to believe such things is a limitation on our God. After all, we who believe in Jesus were once far off from our God, but now have been brought near to him through his reconciling work. Christians are those who believe that reconciliation is far better than division, and so even when we are disagreeing with one another, we don't retreat to our own corners to allow our anger and hostility to fester. Rather, with the aid of fellow trusted believers, we bring our disagreements into the light of Christ. We speak directly with one another. That Jesus might bring reconciliation. We ask for our faithful, trusted friends to come alongside us. For that is the gospel model for conflict resolution. And of course, most of this happens in a private setting. We don't want to just stand up and start announcing all of our problems for all the world to see. But neither do we ignore them. Neither do we ignore that which could make a brother or sister into an enemy. After all, as we said last week, Christians are meant to be those who have a longing to see enemies made friends. So why would we embrace that which can create enemies? We who are united in Christ, we are to stand together as one for the sake of the gospel. And it's not an easy thing to do, I know. It's hard to humble ourselves and even acknowledge where maybe we've been wrong in our disagreements. And yet humility and self-sacrifice and laying ourselves down on behalf of the other, that is the very heart of Christ. And so it is the heart we are called to reflect. We begin to get this heart. We begin to stand together by coming together before our Lord in worship and in prayer. That's what we see Paul lay out here. As I said earlier, it seems that Paul is moving kind of quickly away from the whole question of division within the church. When he announces for what seems to be the 1,000th time in this epistle, rejoice in the Lord. And if you didn't get it, the 999 times I said it before, I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does that have to do with disagreement? Well, what's often missing or the opposite attitude that we have when we disagree? Reasonableness. 
When we disagree, we tend to get so locked into our stuff, we only see our side of things, we only are worried about what we're dealing with, that we actually become the picture of unreasonableness. It's a lot harder for that to happen, though, when we come together before our Lord. When we worship shoulder to shoulder with the one that we've had a disagreement with. By the way, it's the purpose of why we have a peace each week. I know right now we can't shake hands or anything like that, but it's why we still have it. That we might be made at peace with our fellow believers before we come to the table together. It's in worshiping our Lord together that we are brought back together. We see again what the the heart of the church is, what what our mission is, that the church exists to worship and make known the name of Jesus Christ because he is indeed at hand, as Paul tells us. He is coming again. And in the grand scheme of things, he is coming soon, and so people need to hear about him. They need to see a body of people who worship the Lord together so that they might see that there is one who is worthy of worship. They need to see that there is a better kingdom with a better outcome. And they can be a part of it. We stand together in our common worship and our hearts and our minds are shown again what we exist for and that puts our disagreements into perspective, doesn't it? Again, we're not speaking about doctrinal differences. We're not talking about people who deny the nature of Jesus or the resurrection or something like that. When those differences happen, Paul is far more direct to address them. This is something else. This is the, those other differences that seem to pop up a whole lot more frequently in the church, if we're honest. Paul is addressing faithful Christians. And so when faithful Christians rejoice in all circumstances, when we worship our Lord together, it knits us together. It reminds us that while we may not always live it out perfectly, the hearts that we have are aligned for the same thing, for the glory of God. That's why so many of our disagreements can actually be kind of hard to deal with. we all know how important Jesus is. We all know that if Jesus is who he says he is, there is literally nothing more important than what the church does. And we all want to serve him so badly, to live that life worthy of the gospel so that Jesus would be known. And that is a challenge when we disagree about things because how I seek to make that known or fulfill that role in my life could look vastly different than someone else, and then we can be coming into conflict. And that's what happens when we forget the heart that we have. And it is in worship, in genuine praise, that we are reminded again. We worship together and hear the word together. We preach to one another that we are those who have been reconciled to the Lord and to one another. If he could break down the dividing wall of hostility between us and the Father, if he could reconcile us to our God by defeating the power of sin and death, then surely he can heal the divisions that exist within our body, within Christianity at large. 
he can reconcile us. That they may be one, Lord, as you and I are one. That is Jesus' prayer for his people. We are one body, my friends, and we may remain one body by coming before our one Lord together. And so we come together in worship and we come together in prayer. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That is what Paul tells his people. Division causes anxiety, doesn't it? Disagreement just fosters our anxiety, doesn't it? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything. It is the act of prayer with that attitude of thanksgiving that fills us with the peace of God. Paul, at the end of our passage, calls him the God of peace, and peace is the antithesis of division. And so maybe when we are feeling those resentments towards others, or we're allowing our hostility to build in us toward another believer, maybe when our anxiety seems too much to handle, That is the perfect opportunity to come before our Lord, to come before the God of peace. That he might take the anxiety of our heart and replace it with his peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a peace that guards our hearts. That's great language there, isn't it? That guards it, it protects it. We need our Lord to do that for us, don't we? It keeps us from having our hearts stray into places that it should not go to think and believe things about our fellow believers that we should not to to embrace our, our hostility towards other people. One of my favorite quotes about prayer comes from William Law. He said this, There is nothing that makes us love someone so much as praying for them. As Jesus himself said, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We will never stand together for anything, never mind the gospel, if we allow our hearts to be filled with division. Division and unacknowledged disagreement will only feed our anxieties and blind us to the truth of who Christ has made us to be, one body, standing together in worship and prayer and praise. And so when we are having a challenging time with someone, instead of allowing our hearts to turn away from them, it is a perfect opportunity to bring our concerns and to bring that person before the Lord, to pray for them specifically by name, not the Lord, you better change their heart. But Lord, have your will in their lives. And if I'm wrong, correct me. Do you want to be reconciled with those you disagree with? Do you actually want to be reconciled to them? Do you want to see people in a better light? Pray for them. Pray for them. Whether it be a person here that sits three rows back from you or 
someone in your private life or a family member, pray for them. And friends, if you don't want reconciliation, if you don't want to see people in a different light, you need to hear this. You need to pray for yourself. You need to ask the Lord to change your heart. Harboring that hostility, not seeking reconciliation. That does no good for you, my friends. That is not what Christ wants for you. That is not what he has done for you. You need to pray for your own heart. Pray for yourselves and for the other that the Lord's will will be done in their lives and in yours, that he would reconcile you. He can do it. Ask him. Ask him for the heart of peace that the God of peace alone can grant us and then rejoice always. (laughs) Again, Paul says, rejoice. As we do those things, our hearts begin to reflect the values of the gospel all the more. And Paul spells it out explicitly for us here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I love this section, not just because it's a fantastic list of things I would want, but because Paul is telling us here that, you know what, we actually don't really live this life all that well, do we? Well, how can I say that? Well, because these are things that we learn and receive. They don't come naturally to us. We, we hear about them and we see them in, in the lives of faithful people and in the, the words of Scripture. And so to have those values, we need to be coming together with those in the faith who can help us to see these things, who can help us to practice these things. We need to call upon our Lord together that by His Holy Spirit, He would help us to have a heart that reflects these things that we would practice them in our lives. And I'm sure I don't need to tell any of you, if you've ever practiced something, you fail at it a lot, don't you? But you know what? You keep coming together, don't you? You keep going. You keep looking to Jesus because guess what? Jesus is everything listed here. He is true and honorable. He is just and pure, lovely and commendable. He is the height of excellence and he is most worthy of praise. And so it is standing together in Christ that we begin to reflect him. It is living together as his body that we hear and learn of how to live for Jesus to put it into practice together, and frankly, to fail at it together. That we might confess together and be reconciled to one another. We worship the God of peace who reconciled us to himself and to one another. He is the God who helps us to see when we fail, and instead of letting it grow to hostility and division and grace, We extend a hand to one another. Friends, we cannot help but become like those we spend time with. 
And so the more we think of these things, the more that we come together for worship and prayer, for study, for fellowship, for all these things, the more that we come together in Christ's name, the more we will become like him individually and collectively. The more we become like him, the more we will live out the values of the gospel instead of the values of this world so that even when divisions arise, we can deal with them. We can make it through them because we worship the God of peace who promises to be with us. Is that what we're about here at St. Aidan's? Are we about standing together for the gospel? That even when we disagree, we'll see someone else who desires to see Christ praised and proclaimed rather than an enemy? Do we pray with and for one another? Are we about worshiping our Lord here together? Is that who we are? It's my prayer it is. And I know it is for many of you as well. That we would be one and we would be about the Lord's business. And so I ask each of us, in the days ahead, to be praying about these things, that we would be one here at St. Aidan's, that we would be committed to coming together before our Lord, that we might make Jesus known in this city, in this time, in this place. We would not let disagreements distract us from the goal of praising and proclaiming Jesus Christ, but that by His grace, we would be reconciled when we disagree. And we would praise Jesus for the work that he has done in us. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do praise you that you are a reconciler, that you have reconciled us to the Father and reconciled us to one another. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see one another in that light that we would not let the enemy take hold and create division and animosity, but that we would constantly come together to turn back to you, that your will would be done in this place at this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.